Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about a fantasy book. I'm the son of that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Glad to have you with us again here today for another one of our Wheel of Time episodes. We are so close to finishing The Dragon Reborn, and we've got a couple of great chapters action-packed for you today. Of course, before we do that... Before we get there... How you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. I beat you. Yeah, I let you. I paused and let you finish, because I'm just that kind of dad. Consider it a late Christmas gift that I let you beat me. He's humble, too. I am the humblest person I know. I'm proud of it. (laughs) Anyway... I'm doing good. No, I've had a few days off because of the Christmas holidays and technically remain off through the new year. Now, if things come up here during the week between Christmas and New Year's, I still address it. I will still do some work from home, but it's very low key because I support schools and they're out for break. So they don't want to talk to me right now. So Mm -hmm. that's all good. It was nice to have Christmas to celebrate, even though it was weird because it was just your mother and I for the first time since before we had children. But, you know, we're surviving. (laughs) Though it was nice to get on Zoom with you and your sister and Rach yesterday all together for a while. That was fun. How are you doing, Zach? Well, thank goodness for technology so that we still could have at least a little bit of our family Christmas. But I'm doing well. I'm definitely enjoying some being just in my own place and alone right now, because I spent much of the last week with some of Rachel's family, which they're wonderful people. I love them. But being always around a lot of people is a lot. And feeling like a guest the whole time is a lot. So as an introvert, I'm ready to just be here. It's a lot better. Yeah, you're starting to understand why we, as your parents, rarely took you back home to visit the grandparents over holidays. Because that's work. Well, that plus the fact that it was like across the country. I mean, that was a good excuse too. (laughs) But no, I'm doing very well. Rachel's grandma was very sweet and got me six different Dresden Files books. So I'll be going through a whole bunch of those. On top of that, everyone knows I love books. So I've got a ridiculous amount of gift cards to Barnes and Noble. I'll have to post a picture, uh, at least to our Discord at some point here with basically the Christmas haul. It's going to be good. Very nice. You got to get cracking on those Dresden file books because I'm plowing ahead. I'm on book eight now and I've consumed half of it just yesterday and today and may finish it tonight. It's so good and they just keep getting better. So hop two. I do want to also mention I did finish that trilogy you recommended to me, The Magicians. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very entertaining. Glad to hear it. Um, and then your mother and I started watching the TV series. And we binged the first five episodes. They're actually pretty good, at least season one. I hear from some that season two starts to go downhill. At least for me, it was like season three-ish or something. It started being weird. Mm-hmm. But that first season, honestly, I might like the show better than the books. And that's yes, that's saying something. I literally said the same thing here on Discord earlier, because I do. It's an adaptation, but I think it actually made it better. And your mother totally was enjoying it, too. And then she said, so should I read the books? And I said, no. (laughs) I said, unless you really want some more modern social themes packed into uh, your your fantasy, I, I don't think you want it. Not that she has any real issues with those sorts of things, but you know, there's a lot of language, there's a lot of alcohol and drugs and sex and stuff that that's not really what she reads fiction for. 
add to the list of the reasons why I was worried when I recommended it to you. But turns out you liked it, so we're good. <laughs> I want to point out, Emmeline did toss into the Discord that Judy has no time to read the Magicians anyways, because she is still plowing through the Wheel of Time, and honestly has been spending tons of time during break trying to finish our next book, The Shadow Rising, before we get to it. Because I'm going to need it to start taking notes. So uh... she's got to get done with the book so I can have it back. That That's her That's right, because I goal. took the old copy that you had. I have that here. <laughs> that's right. Uh, what are you drinking today, Zach? You get to go first on that one. I am drinking just kind of a simple whiskey with some orange soda. It's simple, but it tastes good. I specifically had to do it, though, because Rach got me a nice decanter for Christmas that has my initials on it. And so I filled that up with whiskey and technically bourbon and went, yeah, I'm going to use this. So it's working for you. What about you, Dad? Do you have a watt tail for us? I do. I do. I made something I call the the Terran Explosion, which will be very appropriate today. Today's episode is called Explosions, and we'll talk about why later. I do have to ask. Yeah. Is it Terran or Tyran? I always say Terran. Even though it's from the land of Tyr, I say Terran. I just get very confused. Anyways, the drink is yummy. The recipes on our Discord, Drink Recipes channel, and on Instagram. It's one of my better creations, and it actually looks like it ought to. It didn't come off weird. It's definitely not anything <laughs> like the Blue Valda the other week. That, that was horrible. Mm. <laughs> this is just delicious. Spiced rum, orange juice, pineapple juice, a little grenadine. Pretty simple. So if you're interested in what it looks like or what how you can make your own, go check out our Discord page or our Instagram, where both the drink and its recipe are posted. Yes. All right, just a few brief notes before we jump into our content here today. One, let's remind everybody again of our special episode coming up on January 8th. I'm excited. By the time this drops in our feed, you'll still have time to find that special episode. Specifically, look for it on our YouTube channel, where we'll be live streaming, open to everybody, a fun and exciting wrap-up episode on The Dragon Reborn, as well as touching on the journey so far for The Wheel of Time. We've got three special guests coming with us for that one, specifically Alan Witt from The Wheel Reads podcast, mm -hmm. Joe Perry from Talk Around Riyadh, The Wheel of Time showcast, mm -hmm. And Drew McCaffrey from the Inking Out Loud podcast, but you also see him all over the place guesting on other people's shows, particularly when they're talking about the Wheel of Time, because he's a Absolutely. mega fan. So they're all coming on with us. It's going to be fantastic. We hope you don't miss it. You should be excited. I know I am. Yes, yes. We're thrilled. Looking forward to getting to that episode. January 8th, 10 a.m. Pacific time. We have... Um, Oh, another thing I wanted to touch base on from our last Wheel of Time episode, we talked about something we called a chamfer knife. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, it's not a chamfer knife. It's a chamfer knife. And it's the tool Perrin uses to help with a barrel. Well, he makes it. He makes be... one because it's a tool that helps you make it's a barrel. It's a tool for making barrels. And I think it's really fun that you were very adamant about knowing what that was and that you supplied the word just because you knew what that tool was. But didn't and know so how to say it. The fact that you have to come back in and be like, no, you said it wrong. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know, we just, we will own our errors. There you go. I mean, I wouldn't have done any better. I had no clue what it was. Wheel of Time TV series, season one, 
it's done, it's out there, have you seen the last episode? I hadn't had time over the weekend with Christmas and being out of my own place until literally right before this recording this episode. So I just finished the season. Okay. We're going to have our full series season uh, episode in a week and a half. I think we're going to record that one. But what's your gut feel on that last episode? It was okay. (laughs) It was okay. I feel like that's what I said last time. (laughs) Yeah. I've been fairly out there with our on our Twitter feed spouting some of my thoughts. I definitely was let down by that last episode. It did not meet my expectations or hopes. I'm still ready for season two when it comes out. But yeah, we'll talk more on our future from episode. what but. I've seen and heard from you, I'm not as let down as you are. But there are a few things here and there that I'm, I definitely question. Mm-hmm. And I question the choices on For a number of reasons, it was hands down my least favorite episode of the eight. Mm. So, and and I find that surprising that I would feel that way about a finale and rather disappointed. But out there, most people who are not book readers seem to have loved the finale. So it's, we're probably jaded by thinking of what could have been. I think it probably was actually a really good ending to what they had built in the season. We had expectations based on what we thought should happen. Yeah. And uh, Discord is pointing it out. I've seen this on Twitter as well. It may feel better and make more sense when we see where they're taking things in season two and even further. Mm-hmm. There there may be reasons. I mean, of course, there are reasons. They did things the way they did, but they may be awesome reasons once we th- see where they head. But enough about Definitely. that for now. Yes. I've got one last note, uh, something that we mentioned in our last episode. I want to mention it again because now it's live and it's available for people. We've got a new series of midweek episodes coming soon, our To Read or Not to Read series. Mm-hmm. And we want to invite people to contribute to which fantasy book series we are going to do episodes on. Still in our fairly spoiler light format, we're not going to ruin these because we're partly doing it for people who haven't read the series. Should they read it or should they not? All different kinds of series are out there. We'll be drawing from things that I've read, that you've read, that both of us have read. But just which ones we do, we're letting our patrons have a vote, have a say. And specifically, any Patreon supporter who's already with us can go ahead and just let us know on Discord, DM us, any any way you want. Let us know which ones you want. And the higher tier you are as a supporter, the more votes you get. Basically, every dollar you contribute a month is a vote. Anyways, so those tiers are set up that way, and, and that's how many votes come for a series. And if you aren't a Patreon supporter yet, this would be the time. Jump on board with us and you get to have a say in what's coming up with our upcoming content. If you want to vote and you're having a hard time figuring out how do I make my votes really count? Do I know what's what? Figuring out the math of how to get the right number of votes. You can always just do the top amount and get the most bang for your buck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, you could. You shill. All right. We're going to look at all of the votes we get. We will consider every series that's suggested. But whichever one gets the most votes, we 100% commit to doing, as long as it is truly a sci-fi or fantasy series. So if someone, yeah, suddenly gives 100 bucks so we could do some romance novel series, that's outside our purview. We're not doing that one. I probably would not do War and Peace. That's not a series. That's one of the tiny rules. It has to have at least two books, okay? So it can't be a single book. 
It doesn't have to be a completed series, but it does have to be a series, two or more books. And whichever one wins enough votes, we're going to go ahead and do that one for guaranteed. And that means if you and I haven't read it yet, we have to put that at the top of our TBR and get it read so we can do the episode. So that's out there. I'm also going to be posting something available through our Twitter where you'll be able to track how the votes are going, what series is winning, what series leading, give people an idea of where it's at. That's just out there. We would love to have more people jump in, be part of our Fantasy for the Ages family as Patreon supporters. And this is a fun way to say, hey, impact what we get to do and sign up and vote now. All right. That's what I got. Anything else, Zach, before we jump into content? Not that immediately comes to mind. I'm thinking we should get into the Dragon Reborn. Let's do it. Today we start with Chapter 53, called A Flow of the Spirit. Hmm. Perrin has been continuing to volunteer in the smithy. Now, where was the smithy? Right next door. Like, literally. That's right. You go out the door, you take a right, you take an immediate right, and oh, that you're in the smithy. Now, this is when uh, Moraine and Lan have been wandering the city, looking for information, how to get into the Stone of Tear, and how to mess up, you know, what they have to deal with there as they try to stop Bilal and his plans. And they just been told, stay here. The smithy is right next door. Close enough. Perrin has been spending time there, just mm-hmm. volunteering. And Zareen has been spending time there, apparently just ogling Perrin. Perrin's... In his point of view here, thinking at the beginning that he appreciates how beautiful she is, but being watched by her all the time is really kind of confusing him and making him a little uncomfortable. What's actually happening to Perrin, Zach? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but what should people realize is happening to Perrin? I don't know. Is he catching feels? Catching feels? Is that the the slang of the young people these days? Not at all. It was the slang of the young people when I was like four. (laughs) (laughs) Catching the feels. (sighs) Okay, so as old people say, he's falling for her. Okay? That's what I'm thinking here. What's that? Yeah. (laughs) She's wearing him down. They're going to become a thing. I think that's where we should be sensing. This might be Mm. heading. Okay. Okay. Even though he's starting to feel that way, he's still, however, stubbornly sticking to calling her Zareen, even though she wants to be called Fael. Similarly, you still stick to stubbornly calling her Zareen while I'm like, nah, she's Fael. Come on. Nope. Nope. I'm I'm team parent. Still Zareen. (laughs) But part of uh, him, you know, warming up to her is as we join in the action here of the day that they're just wrapping up the time in the smithy and going to head back to the inn, he starts to call her Fail and then catches himself, corrects himself, says Zareen. Uh, she's wearing him down, and she even comments, Aha, you will fall yet. She knows mm. she's wearing him down. Oh, yeah. There is nothing unintentional here on her part. No, no, no. She is enacting a plan. Returning to the inn at the end of another day, they see then Moraine and Lan at the entrance. And Moraine shares they are now sure Rand is in tear. But they haven't actually found him. Just the signs are obvious. And what might those be? Perrin's like, what? I I haven't seen anything. Moraine and Lan points out there have been way more weddings. Weird. Way more murders. Also weird. There have been numerous freak accidents and miracles going on. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first of Mayen, or Mayen, 
a political prisoner, basically, in Tyr. Okay. She's the ruler or head of government authority of the little country of Mayenne. Anyway, she's been here for months, defying the Tyrian lords, and now she suddenly has capitulated to their terms. Just flip-flopped one day to the next. I mean, she'd literally said the day before, I would rather see my country burn than bow to your demands. And then, nah, changed my mind. So what we're okay, seeing that's a little weird. is a whole lot of really weird, obscure, random things of chance that are the extremes of what could possibly happen are happening, and with more frequency than mm -hmm. they have any right to. The slam home of it all, though, mm -hmm. is that everybody has been seeing Rand in their dreams. I mean, they don't know he's called Rand, but of course, Perrin does. You know, <laughs> so, but not just them, not just their traveling group. Everyone has been seeing this guy who looks just like Rand, and they've seen him in the heart of the stone holding Kalendor. Like, everybody's talking about it. Moraine's like, yeah, it's pretty obvious this red-headed man they see in their dreams that they're all sensing is the dragon reborn, and they're saying it out loud. Yeah, he's here. He's here somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really help that that case when there's stories of, yeah, the dragon reborn will hold Kalendor and it will be the sign of the end of days. Like, people stand on the side of the streets with uh, cardboard signs that say, have you seen a red-headed man holding Kalendor? The end is near. And it's so original. We've mentioned this once before, but I think we should say it again. It's so original to... To know that this guy is going to pull a sword out of the stone. Never heard of that before. Thus be the king. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good reference, Robert Jordan. A little on the nose. With this confirmation, Moraine states she and Lan will be taking care of... There's air quotes you can't see. Uh, taking care of Bilal this evening. Murdering? While Perrin, Zareen, and Loyal need to leave for Tarvalon, the place of safety, immediately. Now, what did you say, Zach? You said something while I, I was said talking. murdering? Because we've we talked before. Taking care of. Moraine had mentioned Balal must be ridiculously powerful, would feel them in the city channeling. So whatever she and Lan have cooked up to plan and take care of this individual must be pretty extreme. I believe it is time for him to sleep with the fishes. We'll figure out how that happens soon. So, since she's going to take care of Bilal, and the others are supposed to leave, Zareen goes running into the inn upstairs to tell Loyal, because he's somewhere up there, the library, his room, the dining room, wherever, but he's somewhere up there, and she's going to go find him. Perrin follows her a little slower, and as he reaches the top of the stairs, leaving the common room up to where their dining area and rooms to stay are, he hears a little noise and a thump, then a, a little quieter thump, like something else hit the ground. Mm -hmm. He's like, Zareen, you know, what's that? And he moves ahead quickly down the hall to their private dining room and pushes the door open. And he sees her laying there, seemingly unconscious, on the ground. And he's like, Fail! He finally said it. He flipped. <laughs> and he's a about to rush in to, to check on her when he hears Moraine yelling down the hall, stop, and, and something in her tone of voice. He stops. He's like, whoa. Yeah, she pulled out the mom voice. Yeah, big time. And as Moraine, Lan, and Perrin then gather and stand there outside the room looking in, Moraine shares, I felt something trigger. 
something used a flow of spirit here. Mm. And looking in the room, they see, okay, Fayil, Serene, laying there, and there's something near her, like near her hand, as if she had been holding it, Mm -hmm. and then it fell out of her hand when she hit the ground. Mm -hmm. They can see it's a little wooden hedgehog, like a carved. Very cute. Yeah. (laughs) Adores. That hedgehog, Moraine says, was the trap. Not so cute anymore. And she's sure it was something that was meant for her because typically she would have been the first one into that dining room because no one's supposed to be in the dining room except when Moraine is present. That's the deal with the innkeeper. Everyone stays out. She would have been the first one in to make sure everything's safe before everyone shows up for dinner. So thanks, Fail. You took the bullet from Moraine. <laughs> yeah, lovely. End of story, right? Uh, no. But so that hedgehog triggered whatever this trap was. Perrin's like, well, we'll fix it. We've got to get to Fail. He can't even tell if she's breathing. She's just laying so still. But Moraine's like, hold your horses, big boy. We've got to figure out. There's a larger puzzle here. What is going on? So she sends Lan to go get the innkeeper. And he, you know, drags him up the stairs. And Moraine brings out the wrath of the Aes Sedai down on him with all the glares and threats. Why is she so upset with the innkeeper, Zach? What did he do wrong? Well, he clearly let somebody into that private dining room. Even though Maureen had explicitly Mm -hmm. said that no one should enter. Keep everyone out. Unless Maureen was present. But somebody got in there to get that hedgehog in there. Yeah. Why would he defy the explicit instructions? Well, he said to fine ladies. So, you know, respectable, high lady type people dropped off a present to surprise her. Now, let's remember what we know about Terrans. There's a real serious class structure going on here. Mm -hmm. So regular person, high people. When a high person says jump, the regular person says, how high? They don't question those things. So two fine ladies stop by and they just have Mm -hmm. a present for Moiraine. And they even show it to him. And it's just this little wooden carving of a hedgehog. He's like, well, there's no harm. So he does not stick his neck out to try to tell these fine ladies, no, you can't do that. No. Moraine's like, well, I was surprised. Yeah. Now get out of my sight. Uh, She does basically say, you will not talk to anyone of this. If you do, I'll bring this whole freaking in down on top of you. Do you think she's serious? And she, I, I should backpedal. She didn't say on top of you, but she does say, I will bring this hole in down and leave only a freaking hole in the ground. Is she willing to follow through on such a threat? Absolutely. We saw what she did to what, just a fairy to keep Trollocs from following back in the first book. What more is an inn to bury some evidence? True. I think it is important, though, that I clarified she didn't say she was going to bring it down on him. No, she's not planning to murder. Because that would be using the one power to do violence against a person who's just a guy. Yeah, she can't cross that kind of line. Well, the good news then, Moraine discerns, is, all right, this must be something Bilal was doing because he discovered I was in tear, sets a trap, and when the spirit flow sprung the trap... He would sense that. So he likely thinks, I'm out of the picture now. Mm -hmm. Which means when Lan and I go on our sneak attack this evening, he won't ever see it coming. 
So this is a good thing. Lan actually almost smiles, it says. Seriously, almost smiles. Even better, not only is this a good thing, but Fael's not even dead. Well, yeah, but almost. Because, <laughs> yes, Moraine reveals, okay, Fael is alive. She's just, everything has slowed down. Like she's gone into hibernation. Mm. Like a bear. She literally says, you know, like a bear when it hibernates. And then I was like, wait a second. Don't hedgehogs hibernate? So I looked it up on Wikipedia. Yes, hedgehogs hibernate. So why not say, like a hedgehog? There's a freaking hedgehog in the room. I don't know. Probably would have been too <laughs> obvious, too blatant. It's like, that would have been one of those moments <laughs> and, where and if, Lan just like, looks at Moran and he's like, too soon? Too soon. <laughs> of course, when Robert Jordan wrote this, there was no Wikipedia to go double check what you remembered about a hedgehog. So everyone knows bears hibernate. That probably had more to do with it. When did Wikipedia start? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. You could look it up. A good 15 years ago? Probably sometime after the iPhone, which was 2008. Uh, 2007, actually. 2007. Okay. Pretty sure Wikipedia was before that. I don't know. Maybe it was. We've gone kind of tangent in. Let's get back on here. Okay, so while you look up Wikipedia's start date, go ahead. <laughs> the key difference between Fael hibernating and a bear or hedgehog hibernating. Her body sleeps, but her self, her essence, her spirit, it's not there. It's not in there. It's just a shell. This is like in Marvel Comics when someone astral projects. They can't be outside their body too long because their body can die. I'm a little confused why you go just to Marvel Comics because like this is a thing more than just Marvel. I mean, Emmeline put in the Discord even Winnie the Pooh did it. <laughs> that was more of a dream. Oh, but that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Wow, the Winnie the Pooh reference is actually Better very appropriate, yours. except there's no risk that Pooh Bear is going to die. That you know of. Those heffalumps and woozles are come back. really, really mean. <laughs> Steal all your honey. All right, so here's the deal. Moraine says that hedgehog, it's a Terangrial. It was last studied in the White Tower by Corian and Nadil, who's known as the last dreamer that the White Tower had. And therefore, I believe this Terran Rial is connected to the world of dreams, also known as Teleron Riyadh. Okay, pause. Haven't we heard about this item before? We have. Do you remember where? In this book, wasn't there a list of various stolen Terran Rial that were stolen from the tower by these 13 sisters that were being chased by now Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine, and included were ding, a bunch ding, of ding. items studied by Corian and Nidal, and they were going, a whole bunch of them had to do with dreaming, and one of them was this little hedgehog. Yep, we found it. So this tells us something here. It tells us who those two fine ladies were. Probably. But it also tells us if Moraine is right, that Bilal knows she's here, then the black Aja that we know is also here is working with Bilal. Or Moraine is wrong. Bilal has no idea and doesn't really care about Moraine. But the black Aja does. Now, of course, we have already learned in a previous episode that the Black Aja is working with Bilal. I mean, we do maybe, know that, but definitely. Moraine doesn't know anything about the Black Aja actually being going on. That's a different thread in what's happening. So she doesn't know the girls were sent 
to tear chasing after the black Aja. Ooh, I like she that. Doesn't know a that. different thread, a different thread of the pattern. Ooh, I'm so good, and I didn't even know it. Okay, now you've ruined it. See, there's that that humbleness again. <laughs> okay, Moraine's theory here is that Fayul's essence mm-hmm. is trapped in a dream. Okay. Probably Teleron Riyadh itself. And if her essence isn't returned to her body, it will soon die. But she admits, this isn't really my area of study. I didn't learn about this stuff. This is just kind of passing knowledge I kind of know. So she might be all right. She might just come back to her body after a passage of time. Regardless, we can't do anything about it because if we were to walk into the room, the trap's still alive. We'd be in the same problem she is, helpless, and we have no time. Lan and I gotta go on our date with Bilal, and you guys need to get out of town, so sorry, we're gonna have to write her off. This reminds me of, like, what you would expect someone with basic first aid and first response knowledge would be telling people and doing if someone just collapsed. It's like, okay, did they have something go horribly wrong and have a a clot, a heart attack, a stroke? How serious is this? Did they just faint? Exactly what's going on, they might not know, but they can kind of surmise from what they do know. They're limited understanding. And we're limited in options because of the time issue. Moraine is like, we have to leave now to go deal with Bilal. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's going to be too late. What would make it too late, Zach? A couple of things. One, at the moment, supposedly, Bilal thinks Moraine's out of commission and they have a little bit of an element of surprise you wait a little bit too long he hears it wasn't moraine and that's gone however more importantly they were trying to deal with this mess and Bilal before rand actually showed up and became a problem he's in the city we're confident about that but he seems not to have made a move on calendar yet mm-hmm. he's only gonna wait so long so there's urgency and we can't take the time to stick around and work this out. We're just, we're out of time. Yeah. So Moraine wants Perrin and Loyal to leave for Tower of Alon as planned right now. Perrin's like, uh-uh. <laughs> he refuses to leave her. And his wheels are turning. Ooh, wheel turning. His wheels are turning. He asks, okay, is this the world of dreams that you mentioned, this uh, Teleron Riyadh thing, is that like the wolf dream? You know I do this wolf dream thing. Are they the same place? And Moraine's like, I don't really have answers for you. It could be. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, He says, okay, well, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to figure out a way to help. And he says it with a tone of voice, a body language note that she's like, all right, I I see where you're headed here. Fine. Literally, she says, very well, Perrin. Remain if you wish. Perhaps you will survive this night. And she and Lan are out. They have no time for this. If Moraine was less eloquent, this would be one of the those moments where it's like, damn it, Perrin, fine. Do what you want. And if she was a better, warmer, kinder person, she'd be like, Perrin, I understand. Be strong and courageous. You can do this. Best wishes. No, she wouldn't say that you could do this part. She would say be strong and courageous. <laughs> but she's like... <laughs> 75% sure he'll probably die. So, like, she's hoping she's wrong. It was nice knowing you. Let's go, Lan. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's gone, okay? And at this point, Loyal shows up. Lan 
had gone and and shared the news while Moraine and Perrin were still doing their conversation. He'd gone down the hall, yes. made sure Loyal knows, okay, you guys got to go to Tarvalon. We got to go take care of Bilal. But Loyal took his time getting here because he was trying not to be hasty. That's right. Once he is there, he sees Fayul in the room and Perrin brings him up to speed on all that's happened. And then he says, okay, now understanding this, we can't leave her here. And Loyal's like, of course, Perrin. So I'm going to go in the room. I'm going to try to figure out a way to save her. Will you guard my back? And he's like, yes. Excellent wingman here. He's like, no one will get past him. Not even the dark one. He stops slouching and grows about two more feet. He takes off his glasses and sets them over on the table with a pile of books. So that that way he has his hands free. He's going full jock in this moment. Totally serious. And with that, Perrin leaps into the room reaching out for Fayil, and then, blink, he's out. But he's still quite aware. Only now, he's in the dream. And Perrin recognizes, this is the wolf dream. This is, I, I am familiar with this. Honestly, that's one of the easiest times he got in. Hopper shows up in front of him, calling him to return. You're a fool. Why are you here? It's dangerous still. He insists Perrin leave the dream, and Perrin shares that, no, Fayil is trapped here. I have to find her. And then Perrin experiences something changing. He feels a change, and he looks down at himself, and he's a wolf. He's bigger than Hopper. Oops. He's this massive wolf. He is now Young Bull. Ah. Hopper is rather concerned, even shocked, at how impressively a wolf he is right now. And he says, you are here too strongly. You, you need to leave. I mean, you will die if you don't leave. Perrin says, quite calmly, I don't care. I have to free my falcon. If I can't free her, I don't need to live. Very, very determined, very set. Hopper doesn't argue anymore. He says, then we hunt, brother. And off they run. And that's the end of chapter 53. So apparently, Fayil was very, very effective with her flirting. Because Perrin has gone 0 to 160, not 60. He is fully committed, no matter what. It is a bit of an extreme reaction. Well, you know how it is. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. It's a well-known phrase. He's been figuring this whole thing out, how he feels and all, but now she's lost, and he suddenly realizes how much she means to him. Don't get me wrong. It kind of fits in here that... Up until this point, the parent that we've seen in these books has been very much the, if a woman is in trouble, he sees a damsel in distress and he needs to help. He wants to help. He had a moral conundrum about trying to save Egwene, and then he judged himself for it. He's always going to feel like he needs to step up, and this is just another example of it. I can live with that. We leave Perrin now, and we go to chapter 54. It's called Into the Stone. We're going to go hang out with our buddy Matt Cawthon. Ooh. Yeah, he's humorously thinking about how the rooftops of Tyr are a foolish place for any sensible man to be. So that's exactly where he is. Right. And he acknowledges, I've never been known for being very sensible. He's been exploring a way to get into the stone. Because, of course, he knows the girls are in the stone, Nynaeve, Egwene, Elaine, and he's got to find a way to get to them and rescue them. Mm Mm-hmm. So currently, he's up three stories above the ground. Okay, He's spent hours on the rooftops trying to figure out how to get up there. 
how to get into the stone, and he's figured out a way, he thinks. It's not a good way. Well, none of these buildings go up against the, the stone itself. Like, there's a, there's a road, there's a path, there's a clearing between the rest of the structures and the stone. Except in one place. Because the stone is right up against the coastline that Tyr is built on. Mm-hmm. And there's a city wall that separates the city from the, the waterway. And that wall goes all the way up to the stone itself. And some of these buildings, these homes and stuff that he's on, some of them are built up against that city wall. So he's found where he could actually, from the rooftops, climb up, reach up, get on top of the city wall, and then walk along the top of the wall like a little tightrope walker. Mm-hmm. Although he's looked at it, it looks probably wide enough that he should be able to manage walking across. Yeah. It's at least like six inches. I think it's a little wider than that. Probably. But he's looking up at it so it's like i think and from there he can get to the stone and then he can see what he can do now matt has with him his handy dandy quarterstaff Mm -hmm. that's his weapon of choice always hangs with him a small wire handled tin box that's hot to the touch and his roll of fireworks those are his supplies okay now what he figures is okay once i get to the stone I'm going to figure out what to do, but I don't see much beyond one option. And that's a freaking free climb all the way up. Another hundred paces into the air. Zach, you previously compared the Stoneteer to like El Capitan. Yeah. In Yosemite National Park. This is him. He's picturing, I guess once I get there, I'll just scale it. Look, is it possible? <laughs> all the way up to the top. For one person? Actually, probably. You could never do a full large force up something like that so you could never take the stone to tear but could one person do it probably is it more likely that you're going to slip fall and die yes definitely <laughs> and he does not want to think about that in fact as he pictures himself just scaling up the side he's like only a bloody fool would do this i guess i'm a bloody fool <laughs> he has no choice he he can't see You know, he's too far from the stone right now to see really clearly how easy it'll be to climb. He figures there's probably arrow slits at Mm -hmm. places where he could maybe get handholds and and then scurry along from opening to opening. There's nothing he can see that he could clearly get in with. So really, once he goes up, it's all the way or nothing. Theoretically, maybe somewhere way up there, there's like a balcony somewhere, but high enough that he can't really see it. But then Matt notices, as he's staring at the stone, some idiot actually climbing up the side of the stone, already halfway to the top. Dang. He's like, well, if that guy can do it, he can't tell who it is, it's too far away, but it's kind of a silhouette in the dark. If he can do it, I'm sure I can find a way. But this makes it even more urgent that he get moving. Because, let's say this fellow does make it to the top. And he gets in. Then what? Matt has no idea what this guy's up to. Maybe he's there to kill a High Lord. Maybe he's there to rob the stone. Maybe he's there to have a dalliance with a woman. I don't know, but he could get caught. Regardless, if he does get caught, the most likely situation is not that he'd be taken quietly. Rather, instead, some alarm gets raised, everyone's on high alert, and they're like, Someone got in here. How? And they start looking around, and then they see Matt climbing up a wall and just, like, drop a rock on him. Yeah, that would would be bad. It would hurt. 
And of course, his only hope once he's in the stone is to be able to sneak around. Well, if they're on high alert because someone just snuck in already, how successful is he going to sneak? Not much of a shot. So, all right, I got to get moving. I got to go now. Now's the time. And just as he's about to get moving, he realizes someone's holding a blade to his throat. What the heck? That's not good. He didn't hear anybody. So what does he do? Well, he's got that handy-dandy quarterstaff, and he swings, knocking the blade away and taking the legs out from under the person who was threatening him. Mm -hmm. And Matt's fine, and he's vanquished the villain. Incorrect. That's not what works. See, there's more than one person. Because turns out this person had friends. Yeah, and their friends are like, hey, you versus us, you very quickly lose. He went from having one blade at his throat to having two blades right there, and you better stop moving, buddy. Okay, well, what's going on here? It turns out Matt is surrounded now by four people who he thinks are thieves, but, oh, wait a second, you're not thieves, you're Aiel. Now, if you remember, we'd heard earlier from both Jewel and Sandar and our warder buddy Lan that Aiel had been spotted on the rooftops. Mm-hmm. Where's Matt? On a rooftop. Look who he runs into. Aiel. Good news. They're not veiled. No, they're not. And they want to know what he's doing. Why are you up here? Are you sure they're not veiled? I feel like if they were, he'd be dead. Just because they're wearing a veil doesn't mean they have to kill somebody. It means they are willing to. It means they're going to kill. No, it means they are willing to. I could be totally wrong. It doesn't guarantee they're going to kill. But I feel like they're not. I must stab you because the veil is up. No, it's not like that. They still have freedom of choice. I admit I did not check when I said it. And I would have to check again, but I already put the book back on the shelf because I'm done with my notes here. (laughs) Jordo puts in the Discord, hold on, wait a moment. I need to put my veil up before I kill you. I mean, that's the point. They're prepared to kill. It doesn't mean they have to kill. But if the veil wasn't up, they wouldn't kill, because that's against the rules. I mean, they could. Unless you're on a TV series and in labor, but that's that's a different thing. If they needed to, they would. (laughs) Discord's distracting me. Okay, if you want to see, that is a great meme, by the way. If you want to see, you need to come join us, become a patron. All tiers of our Patreons can join us in our live recordings. Okay, so they want to know, why are you up here? We've seen you studying the stone from all angles. What are you up to? But before Matt can even answer, someone else speaks up out of the darkness, wanting to know what the Aiel have been up to. And ta-da, Juillen Sandar, our thief catcher. And he was up here expecting to find thieves, and now he's found Aiel. So he's like, what are you guys doing up here? One eye yield, maybe the one in charge, he looks at Juillen and he looks kind of like impressed. You know, we didn't hear you. But then he says, but what are you doing up here? Because we've seen you watching us and four more Aiel step up from behind him. So, yes, you you snuck up on us, but we did know you were up here. Collectively. Okay. The royal we. So now we have this this Mexican standoff. We've got Matt, the Aiel, Juillen, all wanting to know what's going on. Juillen says, well, I'm up here because I was troubled at something I'd done earlier today. Something that felt right at the time, like I needed to do it, but now I'm not so sure. 
I may have betrayed something. And, and just, I needed to do something now. Something positive, so here I am. One of the Aiel reveals himself as Ruark. Remind us where we've met Ruark before, Zach. Okay, so if I remember correctly, Ruark we saw when Egwene and Eva Lane were captured, and then the Aiel came back to save them kind of thing. That whole situation earlier in this book. That's right. And we learned he was the clan chief, so he's in charge of a group of Aiel that are here. And he speaks to Juillen and he says, I understand your role in Tyr. You protect people from theft. I assure you, we are not here to steal anything. We mean no harm to the people of Tyr, but we do have an important purpose in the stone. So if you'll leave us, don't raise any alarm, we'll let you live. Otherwise, we'll have to kill you. He's very candid about it. Okay. No nonsense. Okay. Um, well, He's not threatening him. Yes, He's he just is. stating facts. This is just how it is. Our business is too important. We can't let you stop us or cause any issue. Just because you don't say something threateningly... Threatening... Threateningly? Is that a word? I feel like I'm missing a syllable. Yes. No, threateningly is correct. It's still a threat. Like, whether it's intended to be followed through or not... It feels like you're saying it's not a threat because he would absolutely do it. It's just a fact. But, like, that's an actual threat. Otherwise, it's an empty threat, and it doesn't mean anything. It's 100% a threat. Well, wisely, I think Juillen views it the way you just described, because he smartly agrees not to raise an alarm. Backing away here. It's all good. Matt, however, no one has ever described as wise. So when they turn to him wanting his explanation, he flippantly says, I just want to go for a walk in the moonlight. And then one of the Aiel, a young woman, holds her spear point to his throat again. So she's one of the ones that had already been threatening him with a spear. Matt decides, maybe I should take a wiser course. Now, before we actually share what he shares, Mm. I wanted to point out, they've pointed out this woman Aiel, this young woman Aiel, multiple times in this interchange on the rooftop. Have we noted any significant female Aiel with Ruark previously, Zach? I mean, might we know this person? She's not named here. We've met Avi, right? Yes. Okay, so this is Avienda? Discord's got it, absolutely. This is Avienda. Cool. Like I- She's the one that met the girls first before Ruark did. I'm gonna be honest, I wasn't entirely positive that that was who we had met because my brain just wasn't there. And so I was like, I'm not saying this too early, right? No. So my point is all these different people we've met in different places are all kind of coming together at the same time. Must be near the end of a book. (laughs) It must be. (laughs) This does go next level in just a moment because Matt, he explains his intention. Okay, I need to get in the stone to rescue some friends who are inside his prisoners. Ruark's surprised. He's like, you're going to... Do that by yourself? Matt's like, hey, I'm a lucky guy. I think it can work. Maybe you should even team up with me. And Ruark's like, no, we have a different purpose in the stone. And about that different purpose, another of the Aiel standing there says, it is time. Now, time for what? We don't really know yet. Mm. But Ruark acknowledges the Aiel who says, it is time, by saying basically, thank you, Gaul. Oh, Gaul made good time. Now, where have we met Gaul before? We met Gaul on the road to Tyr in a weird roundabout way when Perrin freed him from a cage. So, like, 
He made really yes. good time considering Perrin took a boat for a lot of it. We do know Aiel can cover territory pretty fast. Mm. But so we had Gaul in one place of the continent. We had Ruark and Avienda in another place. And now they're together. Everybody's coming. Like you said, must be near the end of a book. The Aiel leave then and poof, it's like magic. Just a couple steps and now they can't see anybody. They're all gone. Mm. Wheel of Time and Ninja, baby. Matt's quite impressed. He's also a little freaked out at that. Matt, it's fine. Just go around that and like, like poke the couple bushels of hay that you see sticking around. They just jumped off the building into the hay. That's how they survived the fall damage, and it's where you will find them. Wow, I was needing that explanation. Thank you, Zach. Sorry, you just haven't played enough <laughs> Assassin's Creed with me, Dad. Um, you'd be there if you <laughs> That's had. That's the reference. Thank you. I get it now. I get it now. Hopefully somebody listening got it before I did. Uh, I've watched you play Assassin's Creed. I even think to myself, I it's should try this game. at some point. Good series of games. Some of them are a little weaker. And you left your older versions here at the I house. Believe I believe so I did could do leave it. the disc versions. Yeah. 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 In all my free time, when I want to be humbled. Yes. Well, Matt, now he turns to Juillen. It's just the two of them on the rooftop now. He says, I, I hope you don't plan to try stopping me. Well, some more conversation just between the two of them reveals that Juillen knows the girls. And he's quite willing to help. He knows their prisoner in there. He says, okay, I think I could sneak you in. You don't have to try climbing this silly thing. I'm known. I'm a thief catcher. I can just pretend I caught you, and we can go walk right in the entrance down there where I bring in my prisoners. They know me. They'll let me right in. So what I'm hearing is Matt is chewy. Yes, exactly. That, um, I need someone to make just a little clip of my dad trying to do that noise. Just <laughs> That was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a better one though <laughs> i'm not gonna disgrace myself by trying because it will be bad would it be better than yours almost definitely but that's mostly because it sounded like you were choking on something while you did it. <laughs> okay well it is a chewy moment you've got it that's what we're gonna do but matt's like but wait a second one part of my plan I can still use here because I had something in mind to make a distraction. Mm. And while I do that and cause the distraction, everybody in the stone will be checking that out and we can more easily sneak in and, and get around to find the ladies. This is why he has the fireworks with him. So in order to use his distraction, he goes over to where the rooftop meets the wall climbs up the top of the city wall, we discover, oh, hey, it's actually three feet wide. But that's still plenty wide enough to walk along. Not a problem. Yeah. He tells Juillen, just wait here for me. I'll be back. And he walks along the wall carefully, thinking this is not too bad, and trying not to look down, because it's like a 50-foot-plus drop on either side. Wouldn't be great. Probably would die, unless he found that, that hay cart you mentioned. Doesn't see any. <laughs> he walks all the way over to the stone. The stone itself now. And when he's there, he finds an arrow slit. Kind of like, so someone could be watching for an idiot to try to walk along the top of the wall to the stone. But thankfully, no one's there. Now, this arrow slit, it's a tiny little thing. It's deep. There's no way he could climb in it. It's no. not that big. Probably big enough that like he could fit an arm through, but not his whole body. 
Exactly. And he takes his roll of fireworks and he shoves them into it. Now, it's really deep because he sticks his arm with it as far as he can reach and leaves it in there. It's still in the arrow slit. He's trying to get it close to the inside of the arrow slit. Before he came up here, he had doctored up the fuses of all of his fireworks. Mm. He'd cut off most of the fuse of all of them. And then he took the little remnants of each one and tied them all together. And then all the pieces he'd cut off, he had daisy-chained, tied them all into one long fuse that's connected to all the little bitty bits. And what he's done here is then that he could then light the long fuse. And when it gets to the end where it gets to all those little fuses, it'll all split off to all of them and they'll all blow up about at the same time. It's a pretty good plan. Nice big bang. Yeah, big boom. Everybody would come running to see what the heck was that noise. And the long fuse, of course, gives him time to light it and then skedaddle away so he can start heading down to whatever he's going to do. Originally, he would have been climbing up. Now he's just going to go back to Jewelin and climb down. That's the distraction. So this little tin he had, the hot tin, it's got a hot coal in it because he doesn't have fire. I mean, this is the way to light the fuse. I need a pause for two things. Okay. One. How many syllables are in the thief catcher's name? Three. Jewelin. Are you sure? Yep. I always say Jewelin. I feel like it's Jewelin, not like Jewelin. How you've been saying? I don't like Jewelin. It's Jewelin. That's why I've always said it. I I did not notice until this episode. We, he's been in like two others. I've been saying this every time, Jewelin. And it was not until this episode that I realized you're saying Jewelin, not Jewelin. Now, the audiobooks might say Julin. I'm going to be honest. I like Julin. I think you've been saying Julin because our Discord agrees that you have never said it this way before. Or at least that we haven't noticed. No, they just hadn't noticed before. <laughs> it is blowing my mind. Um, we're going to agree to disagree on this one because I will not be saying Julin. I'm sorry. I'll be saying Julin. <laughs> well, we won't be saying him all that much longer anyways. Is he going to die? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Uh, Raffo. So the other thing I do need to know is not something we'll know this second. Fire does need oxygen and all that stuff, right? So does keeping a hot coal in a tin for a long period of time work? Like, does it stay hot and usable? I need someone to take an Altoids can and a coal from a fire and just, like, keep it in there for a while, put it on time lapse. I need to see if it works, please. This is not an airtight tin, though. It's just a container. Neither is an Altoids can. Probably more than this is, but it's not gonna, it's not like flaming. It's just like hot coal. You have a... It's it's banked inside this little tin. It's gonna stay warm for some time. I here at my apartment do not have immediate access to fire. However, you have a fire pit, Dad. Would you at some point be willing to take a hot coal, put it in an Altoids can, and let me know how it works? I just, I need to know. Nope, because I don't need to know. All right, I'll find out and see if mom's <laughs> willing at some point. Maybe Wikipedia. We're getting a lot of plugs for Wikipedia on this episode. Who knows? Jordo says maybe someone's done it on YouTube. YouTube has all the answers. Anyway, uh, speaking of things that people don't know, Matt doesn't know exactly what's going to happen here. He has an assumption, and it's time to test that assumption. Yes. So using the coal, he lights the fuse, then he just drops the coal overboard, you know, off the side of the wall. 
He's got just his quarterstaff left now, and he goes walking back away from the stone. And in fact, he decides, you know, maybe I should go fast. So he's kind of like fast walking, almost jogging away. And as he's doing that, he's thinking, you know, it's kind of dumb that I'm in the darkness here running along this wall. It turns out it wasn't dumb because the fireworks go boom and there's a concussive blast of air just after the noise and he gets blown forward just like in a good action flick Mm. and goes sprawling out on top of the wall almost drops his quarterstaff over the side almost drops himself over the side manages to hang on it's like holy crap and he turns back and the arrow slit is not there anymore i mean there's still a hole there's a hole but it's bigger (laughs) there's a hole in the wall now in fact as he looks at it i think i could get in that hole and suddenly, at that moment, then, his plan goes right out his head. I can go in the hole. I firmly believe that Robert Jordan knew what he was talking about, about fireworks and explosions. So I have to wonder, how big and strong were the fireworks that Matt has been carrying around this whole time? Trust me, I have lit off bigger explosions than I probably should have that were fireworks. And none of them could have done this kind of damage. Yeah, I think these are pretty big. I think Tom was pretty smart when he kept telling Matt to quit playing around with the fireworks. Probably. Now, I do want to point out in the spirit of our Spoiler Light podcast that this is a very significant moment in the series. So first time readers should definitely remember this explosion. Matt did not expect there to be concussive power here and a hole to get blown in a wall. He just thought it was going to make big boom noise. The fact that it did something quite different, Matt's going to remember, we should remember. It will have an impact on later elements of these books. When Matt then says, hey, hole, that looks like a door. I could go in that way. He's being an idiot because he had a plan and he's completely forgetting a key element of his plan. What is he not thinking of at this moment, Zach? I mean, what was the point of the plan? That the everyone would come running to the distraction. Right. So he decides, I'm going to go in the hole. You mean you're going in the place that you just made noise to draw everybody to. Not smart. Yeah, I mean, at least you got into the Stone of Tear. Sure, you're about to get apprehended by everyone. Or dead. He doesn't make it more than a dozen steps, and he runs into all these defenders coming to see what happened. So now he's one guy... Against a dozen soldiers. It's okay. They've got swords. He's got a quarterstaff. Well, and they're not really all geared up. Like, none of them are wearing armor. They're clearly taken by surprise. They don't expect to see a guy here. Matt takes advantage of that, and he tears into them before they can, you know, figure out and arm up and and take him down. So despite having, like, 10 to 1, 12 to 1 odds, he's pretty much going through them and taking them out. His odds improve, though, after the first few whacks when he realizes Juillen followed him. Or Julian. Or Julian. However we want to say his Julian, name. Julian, the king of the lemurs. Julian Sandar now is there with his staff whacking around, too, and the rest of the soldiers drop. Sandar then turns to Matt, dismayed. I just beat up some defenders of the stone. I'm gonna die. <laughs> well, this is not a good move. It's fine. In for a penny, in for a pound. But he's also concerned looking at Matt going, what just happened? Can you channel? I mean, what was that? 
He's afraid he might be with a man who can channel, which we all know is like the boogeyman. That's the worst thing possible. Yeah, Rand. Ironically. <laughs> but Matt just says, fireworks. That was fireworks. Because that explains everything. Technically, it does. That's right. Now snap out of it and get us to the cells. So Sandour says, fine, let's go. You're right. We need to get to the cells before defenders catch us. Because at this point, if they catch us, they're going to kill us. And now we jump POVs. Yay. We get to switch to a very, very short POV of Rand. It's insightful, even though it's very short. Because we learn what? He's in the stone. Oh. He was the one Matt saw climbing up the outside. Gotcha. He's a fool. He's heading in to get Kalendor to end the dreams, the baiting, the taunting, the hunting that he's been experiencing. This is all in his head. He's got to get to Kalendor. He's a fool willingly walking into a trap. Got it. Oh, and he's laughing to himself as he walks through these halls. He's either mad, sleep deprived, or both. And that's it for Rand. Now we jump to Egwene. We left off, remember, when she was unconscious from the beatdown she took. Yes. She is finally opening her eyes now. Concussed, but not, like, dead. She's a little disoriented. She's in some pain. She's wondering why she was dreaming about Rand. And about Matt again. And he's shouting, I'm coming, I'm coming. Looking around, she realizes where she is in a cell and starts screaming about being chained. I won't be chained. I won't be collared. And Nynaeve and Elaine, they're there with her. So they rush to her side. They try to soothe her, but they're not having a lot of success. She's pretty worked up here. I mean, she's understandably having a reaction to previous trauma and going full panic attack. Yes. Yes, this is unbearable for her. But she does eventually calm herself down a little. And the girls help her sit up. What does she learn? Okay, they're in a stone cell, a small stone cell in the Stone of Tear. They're in a stone inside of a stone. Stoneception. Okay. They are shielded. They're blocked from touching the source, so channeling is out of the question. Okay. They know that one of the Black Aja has remained on duty just outside the cell to maintain their shields. Just one? That's insulting. Other than being imprisoned and shielded, though, they have been left alone since they were brought here. Why? Because, again, Egwene didn't hear this before. She was unconscious. They are bait, is what they've been told. They don't understand. I mean, bait for whom? What that's about? They don't have any information. Egwene connects the dots on that one, though. She says, I've been dreaming of Rand coming here for Kalendor. We must be the bait drawing him here too because we're his friends yay and then they fill Egwene in on what leandrin said that lovely thing about 13 murderal coming so that they can be turned to the shadow hey yippee quick little just like psa here if you have a friend who's having a full-on panic attack due to their past trauma maybe don't tell them about impending doom that is linked to one of their biggest fears Hmm. timing isn't the best But she does need the information. So, I mean, come on. Egwene realizes at this point that she still has her dream Terangrial, the dream ring. It gives her an idea. They might be shielded here, but in the world of dreams, things might be different. Egwene has been able to channel before in the world of dreams, so maybe she still can if she escapes from here and goes there. She just needs to get to sleep. Okay, the others kind of Try to make her comfortable, help her, here we go. And soon enough, Egwene is in the world of dreams. 
right back where she usually starts. See, I know they make her comfortable and they help, but I feel like Nynaeve could have had a faster way to get back to sleep, especially considering she's already suffering from head trauma. Did you say Nynaeve? Yeah, because Nynaeve's got a thumping stick pretty much always, so... Or at least she's well-trained with one. <sighs> Anyways, trying to help her get to sleep. In my mind, I pictured her singing Soft Kitty. You know what that's from, right? Like, from Big Bang Theory? Yes! <laughs> there you go, Little Ball of Fur. Exactly. What, soft yes. kitty, warm kitty, Little Ball of Fur? Mm-hmm. And he was purr, purr, purr. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm picturing. Ugh. Anyways, <laughs> she's there in the world of dreams. She's in that pastoral nature setting she usually starts at. And she immediately checks to see, can I embrace Sidar? And yes, she can. She can channel here. So she releases the source, closes her eyes, and using the technique she's done before, she pictures herself in the heart of the stone. And then she opens her eyes, and there she is. Yay. She's in the heart of the stone. Why there? Why not picturing herself going to the cells? Well, one, she doesn't exactly know where the cells are. That's a big one. Two, the heart of the stone is something she's actually familiar with. She's been seeing it over and over in her dreams. She knows she can get there. Yes. But going a step further, assuming she is trying to go and come across some of these black sisters in the cells... Going randomly into a spot where enemies are and not knowing exactly where they are or where you are, maybe not the best idea to just apparate there. Well, that's a word you pulled from a different series, but it works. Technically, the word in and of itself existed before the series. I don't think it's ever used in the Wheel of Time. There's a lot of words in the Wheel of Time. Probably not. Regardless, here she is in the one place she was sure she could get to, and now she can work her way down to the cells. However... She finds she's not alone here in the Heart of the Stone. She sees one of the Black Sisters, Joya Beyer, standing there looking at Kalendor, seemingly un insubstantial, like she can kind of see the light of Kalendor shining through her. Mm. Joya somehow senses her. She turns. She's like, how? You are shielded. And then she tries to deal with Egwene, like she's, she's getting ready to do something with the power, but Egwene's faster. She uses what she remembers having been done to her just some hours ago, and she weaves a shield, cutting Joya off from the source. And next, she weaves air, binding around her, so she's trapped but good. Joya doesn't like this. Mm -hmm. She speaks out. She realizes, oh, you must have had a dream, Terangrial. Uh, one that doesn't require channeling. That's how you're here. But this, it's pointless. We're just in a dream. What you just did to me has no effect on the waking world. And when I wake up, I'm going to come. I am going to make you sorry. I'm going to take that Terangrial. And if you don't immediately let me go, I'm going to make you wish you'd never showed up here. Egwene just smiles. And then she casts doubts on what Joya has said. Mm -hmm. She says, perhaps you won't ever wake. Perhaps being shielded here prevents you from waking from the dream. And then she mentions seeing a scar on a person once who got it in the dream and then woke up and, and it was there with her and she still wears it. She's making the point, what happens here can be real. What was she referring to, by the way, the, the scar thing? Varen. 
Farron showed when she gave yes. over the Dream Terror Angreal that there was this nasty scar, never quite healed entirely right. It was gotten in the world of dreams. That's right. Gwen's impl- implying more than she really knows, but she's definitely having the effect of worrying mm-hmm. Joya now. She can't be quite as cocky and certain. It probably helps that Egwene is not beholden to the three oaths. Sure. She can be threatening things, and Joya doesn't know what she will or wouldn't do to her. Then Egwene recalls that most of the beating that she got earlier, the one that beat her subconscious, most of it was delivered by this woman, by Joya. So, seems fair to return the courtesy... And she starts beating her with air, not as badly as Egwene was beaten. She has no purpose in trying to beat her senseless. But she does take some joy, causing her some pain. I have to wonder if it's really not as badly or if it's just more targeted. It's not everywhere. It's avoiding, like, the head so that you're not beaten unconscious. You're just in a ridiculous amount of pain. Eh, Maybe. As this is going on, Egwene has a couple of recognitions, some things she realizes. One, she's just woven and tied off three separate weaves of the one power at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay, the shield, the binding of air, and now beating with air. She's not done that before. Three separate weaves doing things at the same time. Cha-ching! She leveled up again. The other thought is that she's gotten herself too caught up with getting some payback Torturing. She's completely forgot about Nynaeve and Elaine. Yes. She needs to get to business. She releases the flows of air that were beating Joya, and Joya sobs in relief. And Egwene speaks out ominously that this is the second time that she's done something like this, and uh, I don't like it. I'm going to need to learn to cut throats instead. And Joya's like, gulp, as if Egwene's getting ready to start that now. But no, Egwene simply leaves her there, bound and shielded, and heads off into the stone to find the cell. And now we're going to jump POVs again. Before we do, I've been biting my tongue on this yeah. just for a moment. I hope it didn't hurt. Haha. <laughs> that name, <laughs> the Aes Sedai that she's interacting with here, Joya, yeah. is really fun in my brain. Because that's the same name as the theoretical child that Egwene had during her accepted test. Completely unrelated. But it's just, it's fun. And as Discord's pointing out, it's the same as the child that they used in the TV show in episode eight. Mm -hmm. Pulled directly. Because, of course, they drew from this source material. Yes. Well, now we're back with Perrin. And this is a bit of a confusing moment, figuring out what's going on. See, Hopper and Perrin have just finished killing some men. Men who were guarding a room in the Stone of Tyr. That's where their chase has led them to. They're in the stone. The dream stone. But they're in the stone in the world, in the wolf dream. So the wolf dream stone. Exactly. What would you call that, moonstone? No, pretty sure not. The men they killed appeared to be confused, surprised, both that they were being attacked by a couple of wolves, because again, Perrin's in his wolf form, and that they're here inside the stone at all. Why are there wolves in the stone? Why are we here guarding something? They seem completely confused. What do you make of that confusion and surprise, Zach? Not the part about being confused about wolves, but being confused about even being there guarding something. Well, either one, they're asleep, or two, something even funkier is happening that I'm not positive I can talk about until we get to the spoiler room. That's right. Save that one. 
But having finished with the men, Perrin reverts back to human form. Not really by intentional design, he's just Perrin's up again. Well, he needed to be able to open doors, and paws aren't very helpful. He goes to that door and smashes it open with the hammer that's still at his belt Gotcha. I guess he did not need the hand. But he did need the hammer, apparently. And he finds Fayil. She's naked, lying on a stone block or wooden block, all heavily chained to the block. I mean, so chained up, he almost misses the fact that she doesn't have any clothes on. She's basically wearing chains. So she's Aslan on the stone table. Except it could be wood. I don't think it's specified what the block was made of. He goes to her, and she opens her eyes, and she smiles. She said she kept dreaming he'd come, and as he goes to free her, she fades away. And the chains just drop to the stone, now empty. So maybe it is a stone block, because I wrote stone. I don't know. Perrin is distraught. He's like, what? What? We just saved her, but she's gone. And Hopper says... Uh, well, young bull, the dream is different from the world of flesh. A hunt can have many endings. We're just not done. I like to think Popper just is like rolling his eyes in that moment. Not really, because it's insensitive and that's not him. But like, Perrin, you got to stop thinking in three dimensions. So they're going to continue the hunt and we're going to switch POVs again. Let them go do some hunting. We're going back to Matt and Juillen. They are working their way down to the cells. They've been sneaking through a very noisy place. They've noticed there's a lot of fighting going on. There's alarm gongs going on. They've seen Aiel and defenders at each other, and they've managed to avoid everything. But at the specific moment we're catching up with them, it's when their sneaking has come to an end, at least for the moment, because Matt's engaged in combat with someone who's pretty darn good with a sword, Mm. dressed in fine clothes, although like mostly dressed, like someone who just thrown some stuff on really quick hopping out of bed and uh, Matt's keeping the man busy with his quarterstaff but just barely he asks Juillen can you get by while I you know keep him busy and he's like uh no there's not enough room and if you shift away so I can get by he'll just get me with the sword that's not gonna work now the man fighting Matt interrupts their conversation with the statement announcing who he is Uh, who is this Zach uh, this is the High Lord Dylan pretty sure you spelt that wrong I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's Darlin. Is it actually Darlin? Is it really? Have I read it wrong for years? Dylan is someone else. Yeah, Dylan is a character, but not this one. Dylan is someone else. I'm gonna be honest. I just assumed you spelt it wrong. <laughs> wow. To be fair, autocorrect does have a great time with my notes. The- so there are things that we come upon... That, oh, yeah, that's not what I wrote, but that's what it says now, and Zach flows with it. I am probably wrong, but I am just so at a loss, because I'm like, there was someone in these books with the name Darlin? Yeah, hi, Lord Darlin. Slap an apostrophe on it while you're at it. He's going to be really attractive. That's, I have now decided he speaks with a southern accent and is ridiculously attractive. Yeah, Dylan is in Andor. And as Discord is pointing out for you now, she's female, for one thing. And she's one of the ones later on who uh, is from a noble house and will become a known character in a different part of the plot. Y'all are 100% right. And I'm crazy. But no, this is High Lord Darlin. And you don't become a High Lord 
by just being a schmuck. I mean, maybe some of them do because they got enough money. But this guy, he knows how to handle a sword. Mm. He is giving Matt all he can take. Is there a heron on it? I don't think so. I don't think so either. He's just really good with a sword. And he, in introducing himself, is also doing it to say, and you should be honored if I kill you with my sword. I'm more inclined to see you hung by your heels and skinned alive. How dare you peasants wake me from sleep and disturb the stone of tear. He's going all real aristocratic on him. Gotcha. So he basically goes, my name is High Lord Darlin. You disturbed my sleep. Prepare, Prepare to, to die. die. Yes. And he's going on to gory details and, and Matt's like, um, you know, I don't think I'd like that. And Darlin seems to be even more offended now that Matt would dare to interrupt a High Lord. Well, you were doing the bad guy monologue. I mean, how dare this Cretan interrupt me? And his in- indignation actually takes him off his game for just a moment, and Matt takes full advantage of that. He fakes a move with his staff. Darlin tries to counter, and Matt whips that thing around instead, sweeps his feet out from under him, and as he's falling to the ground, whacks him upside the head. He's down for the count. Whew! Matt's panting, leaning on his staff to recover for a moment. Sandar steps up next to him is like, well, he doesn't look all like all that. Doesn't look so bad now. It's not so great. Matt then jumps a bit as he sees someone down the corridor just cut across. Mm-hmm. And he'd swear that looked like Rand. That's because it was. It can't be Rand. It was. But come on. Wow. Then Matt gets back into motion and he swings his quarter pack. Quarter pack. <laughs> he swings his quarter staff up onto his shoulder as he's saying, okay, Sander, let's get move on again. And well, it doesn't make it to his shoulder. Mm. Like it's almost down to his shoulder and it meets resistance behind him. Like whack, thump. He turns around. Oh, there's another High Lord, you know, dressed just like Darlin was, slumping to the ground because Matt just cleaned his clock. And for good measure, seeing him, he then gives him another whack with the quarterstaff. I'm going to be honest. I'm now just picturing what? Julian and Matt running through the Stone of Tear, each holding quarterbacks. Like, one's holding Tom Brady and the other one <laughs> is holding Aaron Rodgers, and they're just swinging them around. Now, wait a second, wait a second. If you're going to have fun with my quarterback misspeak, why do you pick two of the quarterbacks in the NFL I hate the most? Because they'd be the most fun to use as weapons, in your opinion. <laughs> oh, oh, no, they'd be dead weight. I have to haul everywhere. No. <laughs> there, Jordo's got a better one. Give me some Seahawks. That'd be better. Yep. I mean, to give him credit, we might not... I'd say Kirk Cousins with the Vikings, but... They were not good today. We might not like the Green Bay Packers, but he did just make history like yesterday. So we'll give him that. I I missed it. He has the most touchdowns for the Green Bay Packers now, beating Brett Favre. Emmeline's pointing out that our UK listeners could care less about all of this NFL stuff. We're leaving her in the dark. Well, that's good because we don't care much either. (laughs) I'm going to watch a football game after we're done. It's recorded. I won't. I do care a little. <laughs> uh, American football for all of our European listeners who think I made a soccer reference. It's okay. He doesn't care about that kind of football either. No, that one I don't care about. I did coach a lot of that, but no, I don't care so much. <laughs> so much action, so little scoring. I actually like soccer. All right. 
So Juilin just saw Matt, by sheer dumb luck, take out this other High Lord who, if he hadn't whacked like that, probably would have been stabbed in the back by. And Matt's kind of like, eh, it's good to be lucky. Now let's go! Hit the road, Matt. Because he's acknowledging, yeah, that was luck, no doubt. So off they go again. To see the wizard. Heading down to find these cells wherever they're, you know, hopefully don't run into anyone else. And as... The last thing we have is the chapter's ending is Matt kind of muttering, I am no bloody hero. Could have fooled everyone else. So that is the end of that chapter. That's the end of our content for this episode. Other than we'll get to a spoiler room segment in a moment, but we do want to say some normal things here. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned our Discord peeps here with us for the live recording. We would love to have any of you join us on Discord. We've got a great community there that enjoys Wheel of Time, all sorts of fantasy and sci-fi content. So look for our invite link in the show notes of this or find it in our Twitter bio. You can always find an invitation to come join us on Discord. You can also find us and connect with us through the regular, typical social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. We've got an email, fantasyfortheages at gmail.com. So if you want to go old school, you can actually send us an email. And... There's links for all of these things in our show notes, as well as where you can check out our merch shop and buy a frosty mug or a coffee mug. Fantasy for the Ages branded. Good stuff. Anything else, Zach, that we should mention today? Just that if you're a first-time listener, this is the point where you should probably hop on out. That's right, because we're now going to go into the spoiler room where we completely ruin and spoil something for the whole series. So we'll talk to you later. The spoiler room. All right, Zach, time for us to roll. Who's going to spoil first? All right. Are you kidding me? Natty one? I used a different die this time. For the third week in a row, I rolled a three. You can't blame it on me waiting the die this time. No, I can't. Um, however, you're going first. Wow. You got a two or a one? I got a two. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to... Which one do I want to spoil? I'll do the one that I had in front. I simply want to talk about just a little bit more about the fireworks. Okay. Again, big revelation for Matt that they don't just make noise. They actually have concussive power well beyond what he may have thought. I mean, he knew night flowers can go up in the sky. They're doing something. They're exploding. He had no cognizance that this little pouch of fireworks could blow a freaking hole in the Stone of Tear. That sticks with him. He's going to mull on that for a while. And he's going to, again, connect up later on with Eludra, the Illuminator, he spent time with her before. That's how he got the fireworks. But their fortunes will bring them together again. And at some point down the road, her innovative thoughts and his innovative thoughts are going to come together. And he's going to totally understand how she wants to create dragons, mm-hmm. which are, of course, cannons. But she's going to call them dragons. And with the explosive power of fireworks well just the gunpowder basically that's inside them they're going to create a weapon that is world changing it is a key part of the last battle and if we ever had a follow-up series there absolutely would be firearms oh yes oh yes and 
it really starts here for Matt in that Matt isn't even yet on the full path of becoming the Lord of Battles. But we know that's in his future. No, but he sees the destructive power as a siege weapon that explosions can be. Yeah. When he does get his greater knowledge of battle, and then he has this information on what fireworks can do, oh, those two are a perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a huge part of the plot moving farther into the story, which we will enjoy talking about some months or years off still. Something like that. Zach, what do you want to spoil? I'm going to hop into Teleron Riyadh for a little bit. There's a lot that I could actually talk about and spoil in Teleron Riyadh from this episode alone. Oh, yeah. However, I am going to specifically talk about Egwene's experience. Okay. Egwene's not channeling. Like, putting it simply, she's not. She's shielded. She has no access to the one power. Being in Teleron Riyadh doesn't change that. Instead, she's willing the dream. She's using the natural stuff of Teleron Riyadh that exists. She just doesn't realize it. What she thinks she's doing is channeling, but that's just because she has an innate feeling and knowledge of what channeling is, so she expects it to happen, and it does. To me, even, it goes to the extent of maybe she didn't actually level up so much yet, but rather she expected all these various different things to be able to happen, and so it did. It didn't experience that part. And it goes even to the extent that later on, we see Perrin doing things that shouldn't be possible with Weaves in the dream because they're not really the one power. Yes and no. They have as much power as the strongest will believes it has. And in this moment, it's Egwene. Mm-hmm. I would say you're right on the channeling that she's not really channeling, but I do believe you can channel in Teleron Riyadh. Just not when you're there in the dream you, form. You only can channel in Teleron Riyadh if you're channeling, in, if you're there in the flesh, which was yes. a different thing I was maybe going to talk about, but that's because it's an entirely different thing. And I would also say Teleron Riyadh would overcome most channeling, if, even if you were there in the flesh. Probably. We don't see many circumstances of that being necessary and happening, but it's the sort of thing of you take the most powerful thing from some other world and go into a world that runs on an entirely different system. It's still powerful, but it's in the wrong world. Yeah, I wanted to say that we did see a time when Perrin fights off somebody's channeling, somebody who's there in the flesh, and he fights it off when he's in the dream, except at that point, Perrin's there in the flesh as well. The one time I can think of when he does that. And I'm not sure they actually are there in the flesh. I don't think they are. Hmm. The only time that I can think of, of two people being in the flesh and channeling and like dream power being would actually be Lanfear versus Perrin at the end. Other times, I don't think a channeler and a specific dream user are meeting against each other in the flesh in Teleron Riyadh. You could be right. At least one of them, I think, usually is not. Okay. Or it's two channelers or two wolfy kind of things. Okay, now we're talking about this so many details, I'm kind of forgetting what you originally said, so I think that's where we should stop. (laughs) (laughs) I just got so much I want to spoil. Yeah, and we limit ourselves on purpose. But that is where we'll stop for today. 
Uh, again, thank you for being here with us. We only have one more episode to finish this book, and it's going to be awesome and epic. This was already really good here, but the best is still to come. So we'll see you next time for that. Until then, well, I'll just say, we'll talk to you next time.